Welcome to Spew Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Queerness and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender and my daughter Abby Cadabby has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 18th meeting of Spew to Order. Queerness. Hello, Lavender. How are you today? I am good today. Sun is shining and it's nice out. It's a beautiful day. How has quarantine been treating the two of you? Not terribly. We're pretty lucky in this whole situation right now, so we're just counting our blessings. I'm not completely going crazy. Not yet. (laughs) And I'm saving a bunch of money. I was laid off, but that doesn't suck, and it's kind of awesome, and I'm very happy that I wasn't fired due to a random outburst. Yeah, I remember when you told me I I was kind of freaking out for you, and then you were like, no, it's it's kind of okay, actually, and I was like, well, I thought you handled it very well, and I'm glad that that you're seeing the silver lining, because I was upset for you. important dates for the second half of the month. Don't have much. Slughorn's birthday is on April 28th. Yeah, that's that's about it, isn't it? I don't there's no other important dates. Yeah, no. Not a lot happens in April apparently. Apparently not. So happy birthday, Slughorn. Maybe. I still don't know if we like him. Eh, he was very much a gray character, wasn't he? Slytherin. Very much a Slytherin. But a, like a silly Slytherin, kind of. Sure. Silly isn't the word. He was definitely a character. Yes. Kind of Lockhart-ish, actually. Kind of. Kind of like an evil Lockhart? Is evil even the word? See what I mean? He's just kind of a gray character. He wasn't good, but he wasn't evil. But is Lockhart evil? Lockhart's evil to the extent that he would do just about anything for his own benefit, so yeah. Okay, I don't know why we're talking about either of those characters, because we're talking about Prisoner of Azkaban this week. Yes, moving on. We'll just jump right in. Uh, Prisoner of Azkaban was released in 1998. J.K. Rowling says that it was the easiest book for her to write. It was the most comfortable writing because there weren't any immediate financial worries, but the media hadn't become excessive yet. Hmm. Also, a couple random facts I found about this one. This book and Half-Blood Prince are the only two books in which the title is a reference to a character, and it's the only two books where the U.S. art and the U.K. art depict the same scene. Hmm. Also, this is the only book that Voldemort is not seen, and no one dies. I noticed that. This is like the only one that really nobody dies in. Although you could argue Chamber of Secrets because only the Basilisk dies and Fox, but I think they count. I think they count, too. And the Horcrux. The Horcrux dies. I think (laughs) that counts less than Fox counts as dying. Maybe? Yes. (laughs) So let's jump on into the first chapter with Owlpost. Owlpost. 
So I liked how it introduced Harry in this one as being very different from everyone else, but only in the last sentence does it add, and he also happened to be a wizard. Yeah, he was already different, but he just also happened to be different and a wizard. I also just very much like Wendell in the weird. She enjoyed being burnt so much that she allowed herself to be caught no fewer than 47 times. And she used different disguises every time, which makes me happy. I just took this to, this really solidified the fact for me that wizards have such weird names and titles. Because they allow themselves to. It's like a cultural, you're allowed or almost supposed to have a weird name. And so if you don't have a weird name, you better have a weird title. (laughs) Also, Ron not knowing how to use a telephone. I really liked how (laughs) he thought you were supposed to yell. I hate telephones. Sometimes you have to yell and sometimes that's bad. Don't yell because then it makes it harder to understand even if they can't hear you. Yes, I enjoyed Ron's telephone call too. It's kind of like a, (laughs) I don't know, it's just a classic Harry Potter scene. And then when rereading through it, I I took heart to Vernon's, what he says to Harry after he gets the call. He's, He's just so upset and he's like, how dare you give this number to people like you? Which again, circles back to our previous tellings of these books and the Dursleys are just rude. Yeah, they have no sympathy for difference. Don't be like the Dursleys. And then when Harry gets the monster book of monsters, there's this pastor that says he knew that Hagrid would never send him anything dangerous on purpose, but then Hagrid didn't have a normal person's view of what was dangerous. I feel like that is a very, (laughs) very true explanation of autism in general. True and accurate, yes. Maybe not the dangerous part, but not wanting to hurt anyone on purpose, but also not necessarily knowing what does hurt people. Right. Then moving on to Aunt Marge. Mm-hmm. This lovely lady. She's um a very lovely lady. When she asks if they use the cane at St. Brutus's, I love the, the way that it says that Harry, feeling he might as well do the thing properly, adds all the time. So he says yes, but then adds all the time because pretending to be normal involves lying about being beaten. <sighs> Rereading this, I kind of take a whole issue with this St. Brutus's because, I mean, they don't talk about it much in this chapter, but I'm, it bothered me a little bit because they never say it's even a school. It's St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. It's like a correctional facility that- Ran by Catholics. Hmm? It's called St. Brutus's, so I'm assuming it's ran by Catholics. Is St. Brutus a real saint? I don't know. I don't pro- yes? Sounds familiar. I, I truly have no idea, so forgive my ignorance, audience, but- Oh, there's like hundreds of saints. So it's like a correctional facility that you can ship your incurably criminal child to, but then they have to come back for the summer. Like, it just- it doesn't make sense to me. Must be a very British thing. Like alternative school, but a boarding alternative school? Yes. And then you come back home for the summer? Yes. Okay. How is that different than Hogwarts? Well, I mean, it's not a correctional facility. It's a learning institution. Not if Filch had his way. Well, thank God for Dumbledore. And then before we even actually meet Marge, and we're just being told about Marge in this chapter, (laughs) Vernon telling Harry, you know, Marge doesn't know about your abnormality, so no funny stuff while she's here. That just, Again, the Dursleys are rude, and they're trying to get him to... Act normal. 
act normal. And then one passage that kind of jumped out at me was he seemed to have a glazed look because Aunt Marge started voicing the opinion that he was mentally subnormal, which I'm not sure I'd ever heard that specific phrasing before. And so at first I was just like, I like this. And then I'm like, or do I? (laughs) And then I'm like, I don't know if I like this. So then I looked it up. It is a very British thing, but it's also very outdated even at the time that the book takes place. It was common from like the 50s to the 70s. And then in the 80s, it was mostly replaced with mental handicap. And then between 93 and 97, learning disability kind of became the official term. So even in 93, when this takes place, it would have been very outdated to say mentally subnormal. It kind of makes me believe that that's probably just what J.K. Rowling grew up hearing. And so that's what got written, you know? Yeah, because it wasn't Aunt Marge saying it. No, it was Harry thinking that that's what... Marge was viewing him as. Right. So, yeah. I can only assume that it got written because that's what J.K. Rowling had grown up hearing. Moving on to the night bus, there's a point where Harry asks, how come the muggles don't hear the bus? And Stan says, them don't listen properly, do they? Don't look properly either. Never notice nothing they don't. And yes, I like this. Normies don't notice nothing you don't. (laughs) Not those fine details that you should pay attention to. And in in this chapter, we learn a little bit more about Sirius Black and uh, the backstory. And everybody on the night bus is commenting, you know, he escaped out of Azkaban. And they're bringing up Azkaban and how spooky and creepy it is. And the guards. And um, Harry is musing that he remembers... Hagrid being terrified of the thought of Azkaban the previous year in the Chamber of Secrets books. And he just comments that Hagrid is one of the bravest people that he knew. And I just love that. It's so sweet. And then the next thing that I felt was very subnormal was when Harry says, what about my punishment? (laughs) This is something that autistic people tend to not be as careful about incriminating themselves. Yeah, that, that's all. That was my thought on that. <laughs> I don't know why, but the passage, we don't send people to Azkaban just for blowing up their ants, really uh, made me chuckle. <laughs> also, we have another vampire reference, again in the chapter where we're traveling to Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley. In the next chapter, it's mostly about Harry not spending money. <laughs> And and that Harry is very smart with his money, even though he has a lot of it and does buy just a bunch of random stuff most of the time. But he spends this entire chapter thinking about how to safely save it. Yeah, it says that, and I quote, that he practiced great restraint for not getting the firebolt and a special gobstone set or a chest set. There was a couple different things that he definitely wanted, but he was like, "Mm, I don't need them. And Harry suspected his every move would be carefully watched until the danger passed. Which he was correct. Harry's not afraid of anything because he doesn't have to be because everyone else is afraid of things for him. Which I feel like a lot of times I also live in a world where people are afraid of things for me and I still don't care and kind of freak out. Not afraid. That's not necessarily the right word, but like... Cautious? Instead of afraid, cautious? Hmm... Anxious. 
Ah, so you're saying that other people are more anxious about, are you saying stuff for you or just stuff in general in life that you aren't? I think I'm saying that I am overly anxious about stuff that I don't need to be because people are more cautious about things for me. Oh, okay. Okay. This chapter, we also learned that wizarding mirrors can speak, apparently. They're not just used to look at your reflection. Is this all wizarding mirrors or just I don't ones? think so. Just just the ones in the, 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 the inn, I guess. In the leaky cauldron? And they're very snarky, might I add. Yeah? Just a small takeaway. Are there more than one or is it just the one he's talking to in his room? Because yes. Stephen Fry used two different voices for what I thought was the same mirror. And I'm like, what? In this chapter, we also, we finally meet up, you know, with Ron and Hermione. And they go to, oh, I'm going to butcher this word. I hope not. But Magical Menagerie? Uh-huh. Aha, I did it. Magical Menagerie where they sell, you know, wizarding pets and potions and tonics. for It's like a, a vet. It's like a vet and animal store, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Hermione's going to buy her own pet, and Ron brings Scabbers along because, as he says, Egypt didn't really agree with him, and he wants to get him checked out. And the witch that's working at the counter, she's just like, well, what powers does he have? And that leads me to believe, what powers could rats have? They never even go into detail. They show other rats Uh that are there on the counter that are skipping and frolicking, but what powers could a rat have? And is it just rats? Right. Is it just some rat magic? Is it just they live longer? He doesn't turn yellow. I don't know. It confused me and it really, it kind of bothers me because I want to know. And now I must research it. And also another thing that is small and not really, none of this is autism related, but it all stuck out to me. We see all these wizarding pictures and like the newspaper prints and such that are moving, but all of them are in black and white. Why can wizards make pictures move, but not print in color? Because it's a newspaper. I mean, the front page wouldn't be in color, at least. In 93? I was three. I don't know. Yes, they had color printing back then. But newspapers? I mean, I feel like that was saved for the funny pages. (laughs) I might be wrong on that, but I feel like... I'm just saying. We could do all these wonderful things. I mean, was it the the, the Sunday paper? Because that was the only one that was ever in color. I don't remember. I'm just saying. Wizards definitely have the capability of printing moving color pictures. Why do they have the ability to print? Why do watches work? Magic. Queerness. Why do... No, no. Hermione's watch works in Hogwarts. Mm. So it didn't have a battery. Solar power, man. Science still applies. (laughs) Anyways. Moving on to the next chapter. Using the presence of a teacher to scare away bullies. I feel like this was my entire school life. (laughs) This was your defense mechanism of choice. I was a major tattletale. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. I also really liked the fact that Ron was just like, we should have known who else would have sent us a biting book. Yeah, no, you should have known. (laughs) One big takeaway that I had for an autism comparison in this chapter was how Harry's reaction to Dementors is different than literally everybody else in the world. Like, nobody else faints, has 
flashbacks of terrible things happening in their life like this to this degree. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of reminded me of sensory issues that my daughter has. Like, you know, different textures just really bother her. Different sounds really bother her. And it comes in waves, honestly. But I don't know. I, I thought that that was a pretty easy comparison. It's just how he reacts differently to something than everybody else. I did not pick up on that, but that is very true. In the next chapter, Talons and Tea Leaves, Trelawney says, allow your inner eye to see past the mundane. <laughs> and I felt like the, the way that she describes being able to divine as being something that some people can do and some people can't. And in order to do it, you have to allow your inner eye to see past the mundane is a very, well, it kind of reminds me of those um, pictures with the... Um, patterns in them that you have to relax your eyes and then it creates a 3d image oh yeah yeah i can never figure those out i don't know why i just kind of thought of that but because that wasn't the reason i wrote that down <laughs> okay and then i also wrote i thought that was a bowler hat which was i believe this was ron looking at the tea leaves and interpreting it as a bowler hat and then trelawney saw something else entirely yeah, so I actually, I just reread that passage right before we started recording to refresh my memory. Yes, it was Ron attempting to read Harry's tea leaves. And he saw a few different things. He said he saw like like a misshapen cross and an acorn. And then he turned it over and he says, oh, it's a bowler hat. Maybe you'll be minister of magic. Trulani comes over and she says, oh, it's the Grimm. Which kind of leads into my note on this. She, you know, she's reading it. And she goes, oh, it's the Grimm. And she's just straight up reading Harry's cup in front of the whole class, just as loud as she can, not trying to be quiet about this horrible fate that apparently Harry's supposed to have. And she like even lets the rest of the class look at these tea leaves and it's just so rude. Why is, why is she making a spectacle of him? I had a teacher like this once. She like so much hated the fact that I had an IEP that she kind of just made things more difficult for me than everyone else. Hmm, I've met a few teachers like that, unfortunately. Trulani just really bothers me. <laughs> Divination in general? This is something, it's very close to real life fortune tellers in the fact that you're mostly just spewing nonsense that is a very generalized prediction that generally will end up being true just because of the generalness and as commonness of the stuff you're saying. Wow, did any of that make any sense? Divination is a very, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? Subversive subject? <laughs> <laughs> Again, back to Hagrid and Hagrid not realizing that no one knew how to open the books. He was so sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> He was very sad about it because he felt like this was something that everyone should just know. And the fact that they don't know means these poor books were not having their spines tickled. <laughs> they were being mistreated. But only because he didn't realize that people didn't know how to take care of them. Nope. And I just love at the beginning of this chapter, <laughs> Hagrid's just continued disbelief at him becoming a teacher he's just like honestly me a teacher you know i never would have thunk it it's just so sweet the big thing with the hippogriffs in this chapter is just the fact that you shouldn't offend them and yeah you should not offend animals yeah just just in general don't offend them be nice to them malfoy 
And then in the next chapter, Snape takes five points from Gryffindor after Neville's potion works and says, I told you not to help him, Miss Granger. And I feel like this is a thing I would do because he told her not to help him and then she helped him. So like, yeah, <laughs> you get an A and then you lose five points from Gryffindor. <laughs> Well, and he gets to keep his toad. His toad wasn't poisoned. Yeah, I don't think I would poison his toad. Snape, again, is just kind of horrible to everyone for no real reason. It's his nature. I was also very happy with the way Lupin is not bothered by Peeves at all. Not in the slightest. It makes me wonder how much James and Lupin, like, got along with Peeves. Yeah, if they ever joined and, you know quote-unquote, troublemaking with Peeves or not. Do the twins join troublemaking with Peeves? No, they never joined. They just, they, I think they just kind of had a mutual respect for each other, but kept their distance. And then, oh, I did not write down who said this. Um, it was just like a random person in the class wondering why Lupin is afraid of crystal balls. It wasn't random. It was one of the girls that really liked Trelawney. Yeah, I think it was Lavender. It was either Lavender or Parvati. Yes. And it just struck me that they were the only one that actually was wondering about this. Everyone else just kind of ignored it and moved on. Mm -hmm. And then the next chapter, near the beginning, Hermione grabs Crookshanks around the middle. And heaves him is the rest of that passage. Oh, poor, poor kitties who are kitties with with autistic masters. They get (laughs) heaved around the middle so often. No. (laughs) He was in the middle of attacking scabbers and was relentless, so Hermione had to act. We get more McGonagall being a stickler for rules. Ooh, and I really, really liked how the post office has color-coded owls based on speed. Yeah. It's very much like... You know, the U.S. Post Office, you can go on their website and order free boxes, Mm -hmm. except they're priority mailboxes. So, like, they have, like, this thing that, like, legally you can only use them for priority mail, which, unless you make it filled with really heavy stuff, is more expensive than just putting them in a box. Hmm. No. Did not know that. Hmm. I don't know why, but for some reason, I wonder if the wizards would have, like, Prime Owls, like Amazon Prime Owls for free two-day shipping. (laughs) Based on this passage, I say yes. That makes me happy. They may not have free two-day shipping. I mean, this is in 1993. There wasn't a lot of subscription mail services then. But there might be now. Oh, no, I beg to differ. I think that subscription mail services were actually more prevalent at that time. Because that's, I mean, like, you had to get your magazines on subscription or pay a ridiculous markup at the store. Well, no, I mean, like... A subscription where you get the mail cheaper? Amazon's weird. (laughs) Oh, I see what you mean. And then I just want to talk about Sir Cadogan because he is very much Sir Cadogan. He (laughs) wants everything to be a quest and he wants to help everyone. And it doesn't matter if he's helping them in a terrible way or not. He he just wants to help them. He just wants to go on an adventure. (laughs) I actually did get an autism parallel from this chapter, and it's when Harry is asking McGonagall, like, hey, will you please sign my Hogsmeade form? You know that the Dursleys weren't going to do it, and if you do it, I can go. And McGonagall's, you know, sticking by the rules and saying no. In the passages, she turned to look at him with an odd expression on her face. Was it pity? And I can just 
just misreading facial expressions and social cues, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. That's what I got from it. I was like, ah, it's hard to tell because it's McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to the next chapter, I'm going to split this up a little bit differently for time. Let's um, take a quick trip over to Gringotts. But first, here is a trivia question. Who was the previous Care of Magical Creatures professor? Be right back. This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. And we are back. Lavender, you remember who the previous Care of Magical Creatures professor was? No, I remember it wasn't. Don't you highlight that. I can see you going to do that. I didn't, though, but I don't remember. (laughs) It is Sylvanus Kettleburn. Kettleburn, dang it. Nope. He is mentioned several times throughout the series, but like we never meet him. Jumping back in. Next chapter is The Grim Defeat. The first thing in this chapter that jumped out to me is actually a Percy quote, which we're getting to the point where Percy is becoming worse and worse of a person already. Yes. But he says to Dumbledore, yes. didn't the Dementors want to help? <laughs> well, and to give a little context, he's referring to didn't the Dementors want to help search the school for Black since Black had just been spotted outside of the Gryffindor common room. And I remember Dumbledore kind of snaps back at him. He's like, well, of course they wanted to help, but as long as I'm headmaster, no Dementor will set foot over, you know, our threshold. And Percy looks downright embarrassed that he even asked, which is good. You should. You should feel embarrassed. Why would you even suggest such a thing? But- didn't the Dementors want to help? <laughs> yes, but nobody cares, Percy. And then, this is actually the first chapter where we learn about Cedric Diggory. And yep. there is mention of him being tall, dark, and silent. And Fred says he's only silent because he's too thick to put two words together. I think a big reason he was saying that is also because it was Angelina saying all these nice things about Cedric, and I think he was starting to get jealous. But it just kind of stuck out to me the way in this book, Cedric is portrayed as a very unliked person. Unliked by the boys and liked by the ladies. Yes. (laughs) And Snape took away five points from Gryffindor for Hermione being an insufferable know-it-all. Rude again. Snape used the word insufferable. That's Snape. Very British. Not having a filter is what it felt like. Yeah, Snape not caring at all. Yeah. Definitely. I think in this chapter, I think that I think Harry was a little hard on himself for losing the Quidditch match, man. I mean, it wasn't even his fault. And he really, uh, there's even a quote that says, for the first time ever, he had lost a Quidditch match. Well, you can't win them all, man. There's no reason to be so upset. Well, what's interesting about that is the team has lost a few times because Harry wasn't there. But Harry hasn't. Which, something else happens in this chapter that is very different than everything that happened previously with Quidditch. Every other time... When something happens to one of the team members, they either just play without a seeker or they forfeit the match. But in this chapter, Slytherin's seeker is injured and so they just play Hufflepuff instead? Why do- it's Mm -hmm. just so unfair the way Slytherin just can (laughs) dictate the rules and everyone else just suffers from this. But also, why do they not have a second string? Quidditch is so broken. Quidditch is quite broken if you really dive into it to it, no pun intended. Moving on to the Marauders map, Fred and George describe the Marauders as no 
noble men working tirelessly for a new generation of lawbreakers. And I, it just really struck me how like-minded people can see things like that. And other people might see this very differently. Yeah, very differently. <laughs> Depending on who got the map and figured it out, what they would think of it. Also, the map has speech bubbles, which I do not remember. Definitely was not in the movie. No, it wasn't in the movie. And it was just like this one time in the book. And I just, I like speech bubbles. Just just in general, they're great. I know, right? And the fact that that's just how the map communicates with people silently, I thought was really nice. Vampires are mentioned again in this chapter, and this time in Honeydukes when they're in Hogsmeade. Every time vampires are mentioned, they're like in a shopping district. Almost, yes. Also, Flitwick gets to talk about his subject. All the teachers are just kind of drinking, and when it gets to a point where Flitwick gets to describe something that is part of his subject, he gets very excited and gets to talk about it, and goes into his little spiel, and it made me happy. <laughs> yep. I also found it very interesting how Fudge seems to know everything about a subject, even if he's completely wrong, and even when the parts of it that he does actually know doesn't make any sense to him, he still knows it to be true. But he still knows it. I just really hated how how the teachers and the minister are all just sitting around gossiping about Harry's personal business about this, you know, supposed mass murderer that's on the loose looking out for Harry, or looking for Harry. In a room filled with other students. Right. And they're just like telling all of Harry's personal business to the barkeeper. I mean, goodness. And still nobody really has the decency to come forward and tell Harry, which is just wrong. Even McGonagall, like, it's very much in Hagrid's personality so far that he has one drink and then he spills all the beans. That's just kind of his character trait. But McGonagall getting in on this is weird. I thought so too. I think the only one that Flitwick is just going along with it because he gets to talk about history and stuff. Mm-hmm. No, he even, I think he even makes a comment about James and Sirius being good friends right. in school. I'm just saying, like, it's just rude. Just sitting around gossiping about Harry's personal business to anybody and everybody and still won't even tell Harry the truth. Next chapter, they go to visit Hagrid, and Ron asks how the flubber worms are, and Hagrid says, dead, too much lettuce. (laughs) Yep. I feel very bad for Hagrid right now. His care of magical creature classes are not going well. No. And Hermione decides that they are going to be Buckbeak's lawyers, and I just wrote down amateur animal attorneys. (laughs) Yeah. I like alliteration. Also, Hermione tied tinsel to Crookshanks, and Crookshanks did not like this. Nope. But my cat wouldn't like it either. Cats don't like things tied to them, but it's what you're supposed to do. Mm, I don't know about that, but that is subjective. What I want to know from this chapter is how does Malfoy know the whole untrue saga of Sirius Black 2? Like, how do any of the Malfoys know this backstory and tell Draco this story? Like, why? <laughs> How do they know? Why do they know? And why do they feel the need to tell the kid in the family? It feels like a weird... The Death Eaters know this, but why do they know the fictional story and not the real story? Yeah. Other than that's what Peter wanted them to think? I don't know. It bothers me. Also, the school is completely free of Mad X-Men. Apparently. I like the fact that she thought it was important to let us know. 
So that brings us to the end of chapter 11. So next month, we're going to cover 12 through 22. And then going forward, we're going to split them up a little bit more. So they're a little more manageable to talk about in our format. Yeah. So far, the common theme that I am seeing in this book is, again, obliviousness, but very specifically to the way that people's afflictions affect them. For example, the way Harry faints when he's around Dementors, Lupin understands and explains to him eventually why this is the case and why it's different. But everyone else just kind of makes fun of him for it rather than realizing that this is actually kind of serious. Yeah. (laughs) Puns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Also, Lupin's constant illness in the way that rather than just assuming that he's telling the truth and that he's just sick all the time, everyone just assumes that there's something else more serious going on with it. And and kind of get the same feeling with not totally there yet, but um, scabbers in the way that he's losing fur and stuff. It's all they are suffering silently in a way that no one else can understand, and so everyone else creates their own version of it that's very negative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember when I very first ever read The Prisoner of Azkaban, so I guess way back in 98 when it first came out, I remember being young and thinking that Lupin had some sort of like chronic wizarding illness, and that, you know, at this point in the book, I just remember specifically thinking like Lupin had cancer or something, and we just, <laughs> we just didn't know it, and he wasn't telling anybody. Right, which is kind of the intention and is very very well done in a purposeful way yeah because he came not looking the healthiest anyways and then it just kind of like he just never really seems to get better i also gathered that um adult wizards gossip quite a bit yeah i I don't think autistic people are very into gossip in general but wizards sure are yeah and that also wizards still have a long way to go towards just basic equality yeah and animal creature rights yeah wizards equality should be a thing yes hence our name spew (laughs) if you had any kind of thoughts based on this book, something we've said, something we didn't say, and you just want to chime in, please do so. Send us owl mail. You can send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com, or if you want to send us a howler, you can send us a recording there, or you click the link in the description, or if you live in the U.S., you can give us a call at 407-706-SPEW. That is 407-706-7739. Mm-hmm. And our next segment is Autism Wizards. And so for this month, we're going to talk about Johnny Shoemaker, which is such a great name. It is a great name, isn't it? So Johnny is a delegate, rulemaker, and judge for the Redwood Empire Kennel Club. And this last month, a viral video has kind of circulated in which he allowed a autistic girl to show her stuffed animal. And it is just the sweetest little video she gets so excited when he has her take the dog in a circle that she just takes off running and when she loops back around just kind of goes full hug right into him oh so johnny has been with the kennel club since 1966 Congratulations. But this is his first time judging the peewee section, which is they do allow children to use stuffed animals. But this specific video has just been going around. It's It's a very sweet little video. Very heartwarming. A couple little news things I wanted to talk about since it's very timely at the moment is things to do while you're stuck at home. Yep. 
they have now launched a Harry Potter at Home hub website, which just has a disappointingly small number of activities on this page, and most of them are reading the same article about how this hub exists. It's, eh. It is an extension of what we talked about earlier, where she has extended the license for teachers to be able to read the books online. Mm -hmm. But things like the first book is available through Overdrive, which is a library app where normally the different libraries have to purchase so many licenses of a book and only that number of books can be available at a time. So they have released that restriction temporarily for the first book. Don't know why just the first book. Also the first audiobook is available through Audible Stories. Audible Stories is a website that they have put together for the quarantine that is just a selection of free audiobooks, mainly for kids. But the first Harry Potter book is on there now in multiple different languages. Except I thought it was interesting that it is Philosopher's Stone read by Stephen Fry, but Sorcerer's Stone read by Jim Dale is not available through this. Nope. (laughs) I just thought it was really weird because normally the Stephen Fry Philosopher's Stone book like cannot be found in the U.S. through normal means at all. No, it's very, it's very hard to get a hold of. Also, the British Library has released through Google Arts and Culture a online version of Harry Potter A History of Magic, which I have not had a chance to kind of look through yet, but it is there. Hmm. You can follow us on Twitter at Spectrum People. Make sure you to also check us out on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash spewcast. We are also on Instagram at spewpod. And we're also on TikTok at spewcast. You can send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com. Or you can also send us howlers 407-706-SPEW which is 407-706-7739. Our website is spewpod.uk. And we'd like to thank Joan Purr for our theme music. That about wraps everything up for this week. Until next time, I'm Queerness. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood said, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye.